proclamation of God's word is simply a testimony that we've seen him move and we believe he'll move again. That's what the proclamation of his word is. If you don't know me, I'm Dan Medina. Uh, if you know any Medinas in here, I'm related to them. Uh, I am uh, thankful that uh, I'm not Ben Turner. I am uh, thankful that he honors me with the opportunity to bring the word. If you're blessed this morning, share it with him. If you're not, don't blame him. Let's, while you're standing, let's open our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. And when you get there, please say amen. Proverbs 3. Are you there? Amen? Amen. amen. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. My son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of man, of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning to testify to one another that we've seen you move, and we believe you will do it again. And we come before you this morning because we long to hear words from you. Father, we come because we seek wisdom that only you can give. We seek truth that only you can give, truth that's been verified by the very works of your hand and the work of your Son and the active work of your Holy Spirit. So, Father, we pray that you will move among us this morning. We pray, Father, that you will illumine the words of your scriptures, that you will open the ears of our hearts to hear what you have to say, that you will drive it deep into our hearts, and that we'll be refreshed and restored and renewed. And Father, those who have not known you, those who don't trust you, those who have not confidence in you, we pray that you will open their hearts. You will move them toward you. Father, and you will be glorified in what we do and what is said here this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. So we're continuing our series on Faith Goes to Work. And, And I think for many it might be a surprise on how much the scriptures talk about work. I think in large part because there's an assumption that faith has nothing to do with our work life. See, uh, because so much of what we do in our work life has nothing directly with right or wrong, we don't think the scriptures speak to it. 
See, there are some things in our decision-making that really isn't a question of decision-making, it's a question of obedience, right? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie. There's no negotiating, there's no judgment that needs to be done. The rule is there, we know it, and to not do it is plain out disobedience. Most people think that's all there is to faith. So when we come to the book of Proverbs, we see something different. And Proverbs is about wisdom. And so the question is, what is wisdom? What we're going to do today is we're going to look at what is the basis of our wisdom? What character does wisdom produce? Who is the source of our faithfulness? And what is the anchor to our faithfulness in times of trouble? Okay. That's what we're going to look at today. Now, when we think about wisdom, especially when we consider wisdom in terms of the sages of old, in terms of, the old, of those gone past, wisdom was always seen as the counterpart to magic. See, magic was how many sought wisdom. Especially royalty. The kings would have their magicians and they would either have a dream or some other concern and the magicians had to tell them what to do. And they were looking for some magic bullet. Something that would say, okay, do this and not this. And the scriptures say, in contrast to magic, the scriptures teach about wisdom as the, op the opponent and counterpart to magic we still have the same issue today, right? Except our, our magic today is technique and technology. If only I had the right technique. If I have the right skill, the right technology, I have the answer. Scriptures teach us otherwise. And see, and wisdom is not a question of how much I know, but the practical skill of applying truth to a given situation. See, for example, faith is a matter, of wisdom is a matter of perspective. If I were to describe what this church looks like from my perspective only, it would keep, give people a really different conception of what the church is. You know, go, I, if I said, well, going to Strong Tower, you're standing there looking down at a lot of people. Well, that's a weird perspective, Right? In order to be able to describe what it's like, we need to take into consideration everybody else's perspective. Where are you seated? Maybe those people who are watching online. What is their perspective? And oftentimes, those who've never been here and have only seen it uh, online don't have a real perspective of what it's like to be here. So wisdom is a question of perspective. In the scriptures, that is given in terms of the perspective of a lifetime. See, the analogy we have in verse 6, for example, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That, that, that concept or analogy of path or way is used hundreds of times in the scriptures to describe a lifetime, right? To describe the way I should live my life. So it's, it's in terms of that perspective. So that's why in this passage, we start out and the wisdom is being given by someone, Solomon, to his son. 
it's common, right, to expect that those who've lived longer would give advice to those who've lived younger or less. But oftentimes, that's based on the assumption that those who've lived longer know more than those who are younger. The reality is most of us know more because we've screwed up more. <laughs> we've learned the hard way. We've made mistakes along the way. So my favorite saying growing up was, más sabe el diablo por viejo que por diablo. That roughly translated, the devil knows more because he's old than because he's the devil. Right? He's repeated the same. You know in your lifetime it's the same temptation that you deal with all the time. He doesn't have to get creative. He knows your buttons because he's seen you do it over and over again. And why? Because that pattern has been, been demonstrated by men and women throughout the ages. Right? He doesn't have to get creative. Maybe put some twists on it. Same thing here. We've got someone speaking to his son and saying, my son. So, the interesting um, kind of structure of this passage is we have a command with a conditional promise. There's a command and a conditional promise. So the first verse, he says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but learn your, let your heart keep my commandments. Now many of us in this room have the blessing that we had parents who taught us the truth. And they educated us. In many ways, they did it against, uh, against our wills. Uh, we struggled against them and pushed back. But we had the blessing of being taught. And then the biggest first challenge of adulthood is figuring out how to take that seriously. And some of us, say the only way they can do it is forget it. The command here is don't forget. Don't forget the teaching. But there are many of us who didn't have that blessing. Right? There are many in this room likely who didn't have the blessings of a parent who told them the truth. So does that exempt you out? No, he says, but keep my commandments. So even though you may not have had parents who taught you in the truth, God gives you his commandments. So he says, I've given you my truth. Keep my commandments. That's the command. So the command is to trust and to, to obey his scriptures. Now, why is that relevant? Well, the scriptures tell us from the beginning that wisdom begins with the fear of God. Uh, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, his reminder, as we start thinking, if what is the source for all wisdom? All wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. So the command is, don't forget my teaching, keep my commandments. And what is the promise? The conditional promise, if you hear it, and if you know the scriptures, you're going to hear an echo, right? For length of days and years of life and peace, they will add to you. So those of you who know the scriptures, isn't there an echo there of the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment says what? Honor your father and mother 
that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So he's saying in part, first, whether or not you had faithful parents, whether or not you had those who teach you the truth, obey my commands, and that promise I gave to those who have faithful parents is yours. Length of days and years of life. But he adds something. And peace. Shalom. And peace. Now think about it. Can you imagine a long relationship and no peace? Can you think of anything worse than that? Something that goes on and on and on, but there's no peace. That's really not a blessing. Right? That to have a long, long life and at the end of your life saying, when is this misery going to end? Because there's been no peace. He says here, keep my commandments and long life and peace I will give you. So, so that's point number one. Basis of our wisdom is in his word and the promise that is a conditional promise to us, keep it. And you'll have a long life with peace. Then we come to the next, pass, next verse. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. How do we get here? I mean, this seems like a jump. He's talking about scriptures and obeying the commands. And then he says, let not faithfulness and lo uh, uh, steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Now some say that this is talking about the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. I think the perspective is actually this. That if you're a student of his word, you can't help but see the faithfulness and steadfast love of God in all the pages of scripture. See, that's the difference between merely listening to and reading the scriptures and digging into his word and living with his word. Because when you spend time in his word, it will reveal to you his steadfast love and faithfulness. This is his covenant word, his said, steadfast love. That is the word that reflects the covenant love of God, that despite the repeated unfaithfulness of his people, he remained faithful to his covenant promises. His steadfast love was unmoved by their unfaithfulness. And that is the story of the scriptures from page to page, from beginning to end. That he and his steadfast love remains true whether or not we believe it. Whether or not we trust him. But here he's saying, don't let it forsake you. What he's saying is, it ought to change you. See, when you're sitting with the scriptures and you're contemplating the nature of who God is, God by his spirit then begins to transform you. So that steadfast love and faithfulness become evidence of the character of wisdom being developed in you. And so we see that, that this is the intent, is if you look 
in verses um, 27 of, of uh, Proverbs 3, verses 27 going forward, he shows examples of that steadfast love and faithfulness in action. He says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again tomorrow, I will give it, when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no, wrong, no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. So the, the point that, that, uh, that Solomon is making here is that when we spend time in the Scriptures and we guard and keep the Scriptures and do not forget the lessons we're taught, our character is transformed. And it begins to reveal itself. And you start to reveal just little, like we saw here, just little echoes of God. That, that steadfast love of His begins to rub, rub off. And we realize that, that the relationships we have with people are affected when we treat them with steadfast love and faithfulness. And so the conditional promise here is, well, if he says first, bind them around your neck. Now, what's he saying that to bind? Steadfast love and faithfulness. And so we see it, for example, um, in verse 9 of chapter 1, verse 8 of chapter 1. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. What more to adorn your life than a character that's defined by steadfast love and faithfulness? How is it that sometimes what hinders our proclamation of the gospel to our friends is that we are not attractive. That our character says, pushes them away. And if they think, wait a minute, if I trust your God, I'm going to be like you? Thank you. No. I'll pass. Right? So he says, let it not forsake you. Let it be something that you're known for. And the promise Conditional promise. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. See, how much of work life is really about trying to win friends and influence people? How, how many times have you been in a place of employment and you've realized quickly, and maybe some people tell you, you've got to know who is important to suck up to. Whose favor do you need and how do you do it? And what game do you play to gain that favor? And how many times have you been in places of employment and you go, I know I can't trust that guy because he'll do and say what it takes to gain favor. And he'll Turn on me on a moment if turning on me gives him favor. But here, wisdom says you gain true favor in the sight of God and man by steadfast love 
and faithfulness. It's your character. By the character of your life that you gain the true favor in the sight of God and man. And it's interesting, again, we know, we see here another echo of Scripture. Again, if you're familiar with the Scriptures, you see uh, an echo here. Let me uh, first guide you to the one less known. Sorry. Okay. 1 Samuel, chapter 2. 1 Samuel 2. This is talking about the prophet Samuel. And in verse 26, now this is uh, after he's been anointed um, a, a priest. He is still a boy. Verse 26 says, Now the young man Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Isn't that an echo here of the same thing here? That he would grow in favor. Where else does that sound familiar? Luke chapter 2. Now, oftentimes we, we stick on that story of Jesus leaving his parents and going to the temple. And every once in a while, people are shocked when Jesus says, Woman, what have I to do with you? As though he's being disobedient to his parents. And then we read later that it says he went with them and submitted himself to them. But then in verse 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So I don't know about you, but those seem like two pretty good examples of what happens when wisdom develops the character. You begin now... Not in some artificial way. Nobody would claim that Jesus sucked up to the powers at hand. Right? He stood against them. He challenged them. But the scriptures clearly tell us he yet, he grew in favor with God and man. The character that was, what? As he grew in wisdom. So the object then of our faithfulness Look at, um, back to Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Sometimes it's very difficult to preach on the passages we know well, right? This is not one of those passages that is, is uncommon. We know this. Many people might even have a, a kind of a placard in their house of this passage. This is common. You can go to almost any decorating store. You can find trust in the Lord with all your heart uh, and, and do not lean on your own understanding. It seems like a cutesy saying, but this is not a cutesy saying. This is a radical saying. saying. He's saying trust in the Lord with all your heart. He's not saying just add trust in the Lord to everything else you've got. It says trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Now, how do you know when you're trusting in something else? It's how you react when somebody messes with your something else. Right? All of a sudden, now, what are you trusting in? Back to work. 
You got that one person who likes to push, push buttons and throw anybody they can under the bus. And they throw you under the bus. And now your job is in jeopardy. How do you react? How do you respond? What if somebody messes with your money? How do you take that? How many of us, that's the source of our confidence. That's where we really trust in. We pray, but we trust in our money. Now, oftentimes I know that I, and I see it when I'm talking to my staff, I quote movies that are long before their lifetime. So probably happen again, but an old movie, Wall Street. Charlie Sheen was very young. Charlie Sheen is playing a, a stockbroker. And he goes to his senior boss, and he starts telling him about the, the successful deals he's making. And he says, well, listen, don't let money make all your decisions for you. And he said, why not? What else is there? And his advisor says, the thing about money is money will make you do things you don't want to do. See, money as a master is horrible, is abusive. It never has enough. And it will make you trade anything for more. He says here, Trust in the Lord above all, against all. That's the source of wisdom. And where's that? That's back to the pages of Scripture. The, uh, uh, Proverbs 2, verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Why is that? What's the problem? Why not lean on your own understanding? Back to the question of wisdom. Right? My, own, my understanding is limited by my experience. It's limited by my narrative. So when I see things, I'm going to judge them along the context of what I know. Uh, Tim Keller, was a pastor who's passed away this year, he used an illustration uh, of, just think about this, that you're getting on a bus one day and a young man you don't know comes up to you and says, the name of the common wild duck is Historicus, 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 and then walks away. You go, how do you understand that? Right? He posited three possible uh, narratives, but there are a whole slew of, of other narratives. So what's the first most likely or more possible, possible narratives? Guy's out of his mind, right? He's just crazy. You're going to ignore him and make nothing of it. There's no way you're going to try and dig into that unless by chance you were curious about what the name of the common duck is. But for the most part, you're going to say, That's, the guy's crazy, I'm going to ignore him. However, what if the other possibility is he was in the library yesterday researching because he's doing a PhD on ducks and he thought that you looked like the librarian 
he was, who was working for him and he, with him, and he can't rem, couldn't remember the name of the common duck and thought you were that person and gave you the name. It's just a case of com- a mistaken identity, right? Now he's not crazy. He just assumed you were somebody that you're not. Perspective's different. Now you don't say, I'm going to see it as far away from that guy as possible because it's just a, con- a you know, innocent mistake. What if, unbeknownst to you, He's a high-powered, very dangerous international spy. And that's the code word for the guy he's expecting to meet. Not knowing the code word could be deadly to you, right? So the context, the narrative of what's going on defines the meaning of the word. And the problem with me is I don't know all the narratives. See, God is doing a million things at the moment that I notice one. I don't have the narrative to see that he's, what he's doing. So therefore, leaning on my understanding, it's bound to fail because I don't know the context in which God is doing. I don't know the narrative. I don't know the plot. I don't know what God intends for me, and it's easy for me to dismiss it as some crazy thing because I don't know the context. That's why he says, don't lean on your understanding. Instead, the opposite is, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Now, it seems like a soft word sometimes to acknowledge him. But how many times have you been in a room and somebody you'd rather not talk to is in that room, and you try everything you can to not acknowledge them. And you hope they don't recognize you and acknowledge you because you're trying to avoid them. This acknowledge him is a very personal, intimate word. Acknowledge him because you remember you've seen him do things before. Right? You acknowledge him because you've seen him act. He's revealed himself, proven himself faithful. So, uh, so we, so the the uh, the acknowledgement is is in this case an act of faith. If you were here a a couple of weeks ago, and as we did today, you know we recite the New City Catechism together. Well, New New City Catechism question thirty says, "What is faith?" In Jesus Christ. It says, faith in Jesus Christ is acknowledging the truth of everything that God has revealed in his word, trusting in him, and also receiving and resting on him alone for salvation as he's offered to us in the gospel. So this word is a big word. It is, involves complete reliance in him. So, and he says, in all your ways. Acknowledge him. So, then the question is, and, and he says, and he will make straight your paths. So, does that mean that's all we have to do? Read and obey the scriptures. Live a life of character. And trust God, and everything will be fine. Is that the teaching of scripture? Is that the experience of your life? The reality 
for all of us, that's not the experience of our life. Why? Proverbs doesn't leave it out. I just didn't read it. Uh, if you go to verse 11 where we are, it says, My son, do not despair the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So trouble is going to come. Right? Trouble is going to come. He is our anchor that we may, we remain faithful in times of trouble. See, this, this verse right here, this, these two verses, are quoted in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews 12, usually I find that right away, but I'm, talk, I'm standing in front of you, so of course I'm not finding it. Okay. Hebrews 12, there we go. Starting at verse 5, he says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as son? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son uh, he receives. Now, that passage if we step back in the context, the, the writer of Hebrews starts with uh, consider him. Right? And, and if we go back a little further, verse 1 of chapter 12 says, Since we are surround, surrounded by a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which, so clingly, so, uh, which clings so clear, uh, closely, and let us run with endurance the waste, race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what is the anchor of our faithfulness? Is that in the midst of trouble, he who went before us bore it for us. He understands our circumstances. He knows our sorrows. He bore them. He who was sinless bore our sin. He who had no reason to suffer, suffered in ways we cannot imagine. Therefore, the scriptures say, consider him. So in the moments of trouble, the work of Wisdom has now taught us that the scriptures teach us that he is faithful. And the scriptures teach us that he died for us and knows our struggle and our trouble. So he is faithful. So in the midst of trouble, in the midst of trial, we are not shaken. Because it's not like he forgot us. It's not like the God of almighty faithfulness, the God of steadfast love has all of a sudden ceased to love steadfastly. Impossible is against his nature. It's impossible for him to not be faithful. So what happens? In the midst of trial, God is doing something. I yet don't have the perspective to see it. Yeah. Yeah. But we know in verse 6 it says, 
He makes our path straight. That means at some point in our life, we will look back and we'll go, oh, that's why that happened. Oh, that's why I met him. That's why I did that stupid thing. That's what that was. Because God was making this path and I don't have the perspective to see it. One day from glory, I will. But wisdom is that process of saying, I am going to put myself in his path and trust that he is steadfast. His love continues and he is faithful and will be to the end. Let us pray. Father, we, we who don't know steadfastness in our love, we who are easily shaken, we cast ourselves on you who are never shaken, who remain faithful to your, to your work, to your word, to your son, and to those people that you've bound yourself to. So, Father, I pray this morning that those of us who are here will be moved by the steadfastness of your love, that be drawn to you as he and he alone who remains faithful to the end. We thank you, Father, for your word. Move among us and glorify your name, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.